Hey everyone, my name is Caleb. And I'm Ben, and you are listening to Tribal Talk, a survivor podcast. So Ben, I think we just had the first episode where the Edge of Extinction was actually interesting and compelling beyond it just being a desolate wasteland. I thought it was one of the highlights of the season so far. What did you think of the Edge of Extinction section this episode? I'm turning over a new leaf. This one's new. And this one is where uh, I apologize when, when I get something wrong. And I got something wrong from from last week and i'm gonna really try to be nicer uh on this podcast to people because i feel like i feel like i've really kind of ripped into some some really nice people and one of those people is ethan and here's the thing i love ethan i always have i'm i'm a big fan last week i i said that he had nothing in the tank left and my hot take was that he was going to collapse and that was going to be um the end of ethan so I was half right. You were half right. Yeah, yeah. He did collapse, but like you mentioned, he his story so compelling. I feel like a lot of people can relate to what he was going through. He really felt the urge to quit, to give up, and he didn't. He kept going, and it was like you said, one of the better moments on Survivor that we've had. In my opinion, it was almost as good as the the Siri moment where she finishes the challenge. Even though everyone else has gone on, she right. she tells Jeff, "No, I'm gonna finish this thing." Yeah. Um, even though it was over, so it was it was just kind of um, really inspiring, really compelling, and a great moment from the Edge of Extinction. Kind of what we expected to see from the Edge of Extinction. Really, you know, these players are exhausted both mentally and physically, having been outcast from their tribes on the very edge of the game, so to speak. They're on the precipice there. And, you know, they're continuing on. And we saw a lot of emotion from from a lot of different players, you know, who are all able to finish. Um, but but yes, I, I definitely felt like um, Ethan pushed through and showed that that will and that determination that got him through the series of, of events in his life that he's been through. I definitely agree. I bring up that Edge of Extinction is actually compelling this time around because back in season 38, when Edge of Extinction was first introduced, I think that really it was just kind of a weight on the season. It didn't actually provide a whole lot of compelling narratives. I liked laughing with Reem or at Reem just as much as everyone else did. And I liked that we had some connection to players that were voted out in a way we got to stay more connected to the jury than we normally would be able to. But other than that, it really just sucked up valuable time away from the in-game narrative for the players that were still competing. And then finally, it gave us a winner in Chris that a lot of people didn't feel like they knew and didn't feel like he deserved that win. So Edge of Extinction in its first iteration was actually kind of a failure. And then you go to this iteration where right off the bat, the new mechanics with the fire tokens and the advantages that they find on the Edge of Extinction allow those 
relationships that were formed between the players that were voted off and the players that are still in the game to drive how advantages are attained on the main island. So there's actually something that matters there. There's actual stakes. And then you take it to a whole nother level this episode. It's not just something that is a riddle that you have to figure out. It's not just a puzzle sitting on top of the hill, but you have to go up and get 20 separate logs, hike up 20 times, come down 20 times, and you only have one day to do it. And of course, you're sleep deprived, you're malnourished, everything's going against you. And seeing those players go through that showed us so much about them. Right off the bat, showed us that Natalie can just suspend all of her mental anguish, right? She just takes it. Puts it out of her head until She's it's a done. Beast. She's a machine. Dude. It's a, it's it's awesome. And then of course, as soon as the job is done, it all floods back in. But the mm-hmm. job is done. She's mm-hmm. finished. Mm-hmm. It showed us that Amber and Danny are no slouches. That's for sure. Kudos to them for finishing. When I saw this, I didn't think that either of them were going to be able to finish, Me and they did Me it. Either. So I am impressed. Kudos to them. And then of course, most importantly, Ethan being able to overcome that when clearly. He was, for whatever reason, the one that was struggling the most with this. And I think he's probably not in as good of a shape he could be if he hadn't ever had cancer. I'm sure that leaves permanent effects on your body in some way. And then the fact that we got that really heartwarming moment when they all decided to go with him for his 20th trip. That took it from just, wow, that was an intense challenge to this is something that stands out from all 40 seasons of Survivor, like you said, like the moment with Suri, as a notable time when players said, we're in this together, we're going to be together as one and help Ethan get to the top for really no other reason than that we love Ethan. That's why we're going to do it. We support him. He's out here with us. We like him. What What's awesome about Survivor is how often it ends up just showing us that indomitable spirit of of companionship and you know of humanity you know that moment was intensely human right that 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 idea that we're all going to rally around in this incredibly difficult time we're all going to rally around this person we're all inspired and and like was noted earlier in the in the episode on the edge of extinction you know they're really growing closer and closer together and that was something that the last edge of extinction brought us to was this this idea that you know these people are so firmly together um you know at the end of this because they've been through so much so i i loved seeing that yeah and i do think it makes us remember that the jury in this season is going to be spending a lot of time with at least one player that's going to make it back in at the end. And there's going to be a very, very real camaraderie between these players. They're going to feel like whoever got back in, like let's say Natalie is the player that gets back in, and let's say Ethan and Amber and Danny are on the jury. How can they not feel some type of deep connection with Natalie more so than they feel with the other players in the final three? They're going to say, she's one of us. She went through something that maybe we perceive to be harder than being in the actual game. And this is just a taste. I think we're going to get another challenge like this, maybe more. Maybe the return challenge won't be some, you know, obstacle course with a puzzle at the end. Maybe it's going to be something like this. Go up and down 20 times. First one done gets back in the game. Maybe that's what we're going to deal with. Who knows? But it's not the same edge of extinction as it was in season 38. That's for sure. You're right. I feel like they're getting better at this. And, 
yeah, it's it's really it's really good to watch. It's good television. It is sure. so. It was it was the best part of the episode, even yeah, though it agreed. did take about ten minutes from the core runtime of the episode. Here's a little separate gripe. Something that I noticed this week. I'm not a person that watches The Bachelor, but I found out this week that The Bachelor gets two two-hour episodes a week. Did you know that? What? Isn't that nuts? Two two-hour episodes a week of The Bachelor, and they give Survivor 40 to 45 minutes tops. Those jerks. Give us the two-hour episodes. I know, I know Jeff would like to give them if he could. So I'm talking oh, yeah. directly to CBS. Give us the two-hour episodes. We want them. We will watch all of them. You could literally just show us a, a nanny cam of a camp yeah, for an look, hour, and I'd love that. Look, I'd give all that. the B-roll to an intern and just let him put it on YouTube. That would be fine as well. <laughs> all right? I don't need it to be a nice, clean, and well-edited thing with perfect sound and a soundtrack. Just give us the info. Give just us the B-roll. Just raw, unedited Yeah, footage. just give it yeah. to us. I don't care. Yeah. I'll yeah. watch it. Dude, I'd be all over that. I'd get more excited about that than the edited version. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it would be... It would, it would tell us way more. Speaking of something that is on YouTube, this just talks about how difficult this challenge was for Ethan. There was a little expose that Survivor uh, on YouTube, on the Survivor CBS channel posted about Ethan's journey in this challenge. And they actually showed uh, a small video of him struggling. And he, what he said was happening in this moment was his depth perception was so gone because he was so fatigued. He had his hands up on a rock and he was trying to get his feet onto a rock lower down he was just trying to lift his feet like two feet up in the air 24 inches and his depth perception was so bad that he couldn't see how high he needed to lift his feet and he kept underestimating and kept just kicking the rock and then that's when he knew basically he wasn't going to be able to do it and they called in the medical team oh yeah the australian doctors Apparently, they have to have an accent. It's the one requirement uh, for being a doctor or, or medical <laughs> assistant is you must have an Australian accent. Here's another thing. So is Edge of Extinction below Dr. Joe? Is that like below his pay grade? He only he only stays on the mainland. Dr. Joe, I actually I haven't seen Dr. Joe in a while. Do you is think he's he still, gone? Is he still there? He I, might be gone. A, we'll have to check. It was a but female this time. So, it was. Yep. Yeah. She... Um, yeah, she did a good job. She had the good accent and did tell um, Ethan that he can't do it anymore. And then he did do it. Well, and on that, they actually did give him a sugar and a salt pill and water uh, to what? help him. They did. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yep. I didn't see that. How did you How did you find that? That was out? also in the YouTube Jeez. video. They talked about that as well, which I didn't realize that that was allowed. But apparently, if you get that close to fainting... They will give it to you. New strategy. Edge of Extinction players. Here you go. Just fake fainting every morning and every night and get those sugar and salt pills. And that's your new that's your new nutrition plan. Um, let's move on from the edge of extinction. Shall we? Shall, shall yeah, we? We shall. Shall we, we shall. Hop, hop back in our boat and um, go back to the real game where it actually matters? Um, ooh, burn. Which player that is still in the game technically took their game further and how do they do that i thought about this for quite a while i of course wanted to talk about boston rob again but he actually didn't really execute a move we saw the beginning of a move and then we never really saw the fruition of that so we have okay. to go to to call of course and i think on to call i think you really could talk about either yule or sophie or nick or wendell that 
lone wolf for Alliance. You know, none of those people have any other connections. They each only played one time. But the one I think that really progressed her game is Sophie. And it's because I think she is best positioned in her tribe and in the game as a whole to work with multiple groups of people. She got out a big threat through her alliance, through her greater alliance in the tribe. And on top of that, she's teamed up with one of the strongest players in the game that if you're going to target either Yule or Sophie, you're going to target Yule before you target Sophie. I think she's sitting in a fantastic position going especially into a tribe switch. She has a lot of people that are going to be willing to work with her. So I think she took her game a lot further this episode. We talked about Sophie in episode one, too, that we felt like we saw her really setting herself up well with Yule being her kind of nerd her <laughs> her nerd shield that's what she called her it, nerd yeah. shield and yeah. and she's 100% right no one's going to think she's a threat versus versus Yule um i have i have a couple um i'm pulling okay. a pulling a little play uh, from the Caleb repertoire and and picking picking two options for this single answer question i feel like the entire Sele team uh stepped up their game obviously they've been getting their butts kicked during the challenges and they really stepped it up and furthermore that was probably the biggest comeback that i have seen in survivor they were stuck on what was essentially the first step yep until until the other team was on their final step and nick laid a massive gigantic egg right and could not get that puzzle solved for all the world and he was given all the time and the entire Sele team, they didn't give up. Adam didn't give up, even though he should have. He should have. It was almost, it was almost a Siri-esque moment, you know, with him, with him just continuing to jump. He he climbed that ladder and jumped what four or five times. I think and he had was, to climb five or six times to get three keys. So. And that was just what we saw of the edit. I mean, it could have been way more than that. He was exhausted. He had nothing left, and he still he he fought through. He overcame, and then the whole team made this. It was it was edge of my seat. It was super entertaining. Um, but the whole Sele team, they all believed. And and Rob, Boston Rob, got his final redemption at puzzles, right? Because that first puzzle he 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 tried to do, and he was just organizing the piece the whole time, yeah. and he got his butt whooped. And then the second time he got close, and now this time he came back from nothing and and destroyed that puzzle. So that was definitely, in my opinion, one of the most entertaining challenges I've seen in in a few seasons. I think it was probably the best one of this season so far. Who doesn't love a comeback story? I mean, that was great. I thought that they were just going to get destroyed. But yeah, you're right. Nick just completely blew it. Jeff Probst was giving them some, some shade. Oh, yeah. He was throwing that shade. Yes. I do have to take some criticism with Rob's coaching of his tribe because they picked the three shortest people to jump for those keys. <laughs> and apparently that was just too much. Not like great. Denise jumped once. Parvati yeah. jumped twice. Adam, poor Adam, had to jump six times. And good for him for doing it because apparently he's he was the only one that was physically capable at all. 
And even then, his success percentage wasn't that great. So he just had to try again and again and again. And you're right. It may have been a lot longer or there may have been rest in between. I saw one article this week that said that DeCall had about a 25-minute head start on that puzzle, which, number one, makes me think that they have even less of an excuse for the other team's comeback. But it also shows how long Adam was standing there jumping again and again and again because they got there pretty quick once they got the keys. Man, that is insane. 25 minutes? Yeah, if that's true, that's Uh... terrible. Nick that's should have awful. gone home because that's just bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there should be a oh, threshold yeah. of badness that once you hit it, they just have to be like, this is winners at war. We can't have yeah. you here. Come on. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Garbage. You're garbage. Uh, so back to the question. So yeah. my second answer here is uh, what you alluded to. Boston Robert. Okay. He is just, I have to mention him here. Now, is he taking his game further or or is it the same game that we've been seeing since the start? It doesn't matter. I have to put this in here. Sure. Um, he's taking everyone to school. First, he noticed a lack of trust of Adam, right, in his tribe. And at this point, it's Robert and Poverty versus the world. Yeah. And somehow, they keep on surviving. It's insane. So he notices this lack of trust in Adam. He notices his crack. And, because, and he was the one who formed the crack. Right, he threw Adam under the bus during yep. episode three and yep. caused this distress. Then, with a little bit of acting and some deception, he essentially made puppets out of Michelle and Jeremy. He completely played them for idiots, and and they took everything that he said, hook, line, and sinker. So he 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 tells them that Adam is still being tricky, and they completely fell for it. I what I said during last week's episode review was that. What Adam needs to do is tuck his tail between his legs. And, and that's boy, he did. did he. <laughs> boy, did he. No, that was happening. That was happening. And my wife will tell you, the whole time, that whole episode, I was like, that's what he needs to do. That's what he needs to do. And, and, then, he, and then the next scene, he goes off onto the beach with Parvati and Rob. What was I he mean, thinking? Yeah. What, what a crazy... That that was just incompetent. Now, in his defense, he basically, in his confession, was like, I'm not going to give them any ammunition. I'm not going to slip up and say anything. But I agree with you. Him even going out and speaking to them exactly. as a group of three, that was a mistake. Yeah. He shouldn't yeah. have had a single one-off conversation with them where Jeremy or Michelle or Denise were not present. Look, I, and this is what I said last week, is that he should he needs to stay beside Jeremy uh, and Michelle or, or someone in that alliance for the entirety of the episode. I said that he should not even talk to Boston Robert Poverty. And what does he do? He goes and talks to Boston Robin Poverty. And if you're if you're Boston Rob, you're gonna you're gonna lie. You're gonna say, Oh man, you know, oh, what, what was he thinking? He was coming and talking <laughs> to me and and you know, what do I do about this, Jeremy? And 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 Jeremy's like, oh and Michelle Michelle is playing a very amateur game of Survivor. She's playing now, which great, great, awesome. But she's not looking past what her enemy is telling her. Rob is is her enemy, and he's telling her this information. She's not thinking, why is he telling me this? You know, and so she gets this information. She's just like, oh, we got to get Adam out, which is exactly what Rob wants. And he didn't need to act on it, right, because their team won the challenge. But Rob has has cemented the idea that Adam goes back and forth between people and he's a threat, yep. which is not what Adam needs right now. 
And going into a tribe switch, Adam, I think, is on the bottom in terms of who's in the best position. He's at the bottom, and we'll talk more about that later, but he is just labeled as this guy that will jump ship anytime. Touching yep. back on your comments on Boston Rob, I agree with everything you said. One moment that was just the mob bossiest of all mob boss moves that Boston Rob has showed us over the years. Adam is talking to him in poverty. They're talking about it. Adam is basically saying, unequivocally, I will not work with you. I'm not going to give you anything that you can go to Jeremy or Michelle and say about me. No, I won't play your game. And then Rob waits for him to leave, and he turns to his left and looks at poverty and just says, should we bury him? And it's so matter of fact, just should we bury him? And I think Adam watching that back now has to be like, whoa (laughs) so ready just to put you six feet deep in the sand and walk away like it was nothing rob doesn't care about these people not like he cares about two million dollars that's for sure and he is so himself it was so fun to watch i think what you said about rob understanding what other players want is so interesting because or, or rather not want but what they naturally want to believe and then all he has to do is just push that button like with jeremy and say hey adam came up and is trying to scheme again and jeremy's like oh my preconceived notion this can this confirms my preconceived notion about adam of course i believe this when if you step back of course if rob is going to try to get out from under the bottom that's what he needs to say to you jeremy right right what else is he going to do what other play does he have and yet rob knows that's what jeremy will believe so that's what Boston Rob says, and Jeremy and Michelle act like, oh my gosh, this thing that we already thought has been confirmed. Can you believe it? They want to believe it. They want to believe that Adam is is deceiving them, yeah. and Boston Rob knew that, and he took advantage of it. And it's, it's playing into their fears, too. They're afraid that Adam's going to rat on them, that he's going to turn on them, and he's, he's just using that fear. And what they should be afraid of is is that devil on their shoulder whispering ideas to them and and that's Boston Robert and they should have gotten rid of him the first chance they had and now it's too late cuz guess what's happening a tribe swap and now one of the players who who honestly should have had every reason in the world to be afraid he's he's been using these players as puppets and pawns this entire time. And Parvati just riding along, you know, you don't hear a word about her. She's in every bit the the position that Rob is in. She looks really good moving forward in this game. Yeah. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't even be here. And and yet what we get rewarded with as the viewers is some really entertaining television and some textbook manipulation. I love it. In that conversation, I think we have to also discuss Coming into the season, there were people that you and I both expected to make big moves, to be players to watch in this season. And I think to a degree, we have been right. Boston Rob has been super entertaining. Yule has been the king of his respective tribe, who is a player who has been surprisingly inconsequential to their tribe and the season as a whole. I have to go back and and say maybe, uh, in my opinion, Wendell has been almost unheard from this season and I don't think it's because he's trying to play the quiet game I just think that it's because he hasn't led on any ideas he's he's in a solid alliance of four he's letting everyone else call the shots and my fear for Wendell is that if he does make it to the end 
there's not really much he can say at this point about the first half of the game. Right. I think that that's a weakness in this stacked season of Survivor with, you know, tons of players at least trying to make moves. And here's Wendell, who who honestly is a very strategic and social player that hasn't really moved. He's just kind of been just on the beach, you know, nodding his head the whole time. Yeah. I think that's a fine name to put out there. The person I put down for similar reasons is Denise. I was hoping that Denise would fall right back in to her therapist ways, really start dissecting people, make them feel heard and validated and, and create this really strong alliance of players around her. And what we saw and said was her turn Adam into her Malcolm 2.0, which was a terrible choice for a Malcolm 2.0 because now Adam. Adam is no Malcolm. Good thing for Denise, she got the other half of that idol back from Adam, but for having, in my opinion, a very strong episode one alliance, we're now in episode four or day 13, we're a third of the way through the game of 39 days, and that alliance might be broken. Because I don't even know if Denise trusts Adam anymore. So Denise now has relegated herself through three separate tribal councils to a position of a passenger. She's not driving those narratives. She's not driving who's being voted off. And she's really not in the season at all so far because she's not doing those things. I don't I don't think it's necessarily her fault that she's become inconsequential. But I think she did just hitch her wagon to, to a cart that's just kind of gone off course. I also... Wasn't sure when to talk about this with you, Caleb, but I feel okay. like this is a, as good a time. For this season, there seems to be a fear uh, in, inherent in all of the players that are not kind of the big names, that really haven't been afraid this whole season. Where does this fear come from of saying names like Boston Rob, of saying names like Parvati when they're talking about Tribal Council. Now, during Tribal Council, they talked about it this this episode. They talked about this kind of starstruck idea that players are really, you know, they, they see Sandra or they see Parvati and they had a crush on him in high school or whatever, and they're get, they get starstruck and they get afraid. There's like that fear of like saying their name and taking them out. Do you feel like it's that starstruck capacity where they want to be around these players or is there is there a reason that these players should be afraid of of the big names in this game? I think that part of it has to be that they idolize those older school players to a degree. That has to be yeah. a factor. There's not a whole yeah. lot of other explanation for how Boston Rob was able to take Ben Dreebergen and turn him into a puddle of goo. Now, granted, I think that Boston Rob is a way better player than Ben Dreebergen, but that was next level. Uh, and yeah. I think that Ben Dreebergen would tell you, yeah, Boston Rob's a lot smarter than me. But even then, part of this was that I was like, whoa, I'm here with Boston Rob. And he kind of got worked over by him in the moment. I, I do think that part of it is the idolization of it. The other part, I think, is just that the old school survivor mentality is so different from what the players in let's say season 35 on and so we have nick and adam and and all these newer players this is just a very foreign type of gameplay to them where you have someone who is your super solid alliance your number one and you don't flip on them no matter what so they know if i go to boss and rob and say parvati boss and rob apparently will go to your tribe and tell them hey 
your alliance member is trying to work with me, does that make you mad? And so it just kind of backfires on people. But I really don't know how Boston Rob, for example, has made it through three tribal councils and has yet to receive a single vote. Single vote. I told you in episode one, if they didn't take him out in the first episode, they're in big, big trouble. And and that's that's really coming to fruition. So it kind of takes us into our, our last question here. In this episode, we saw Tony, Sarah, Kim, and largely Sandra. Uh, largely, I, I don't, I, that's not a fat joke. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, uh, Tony, Sarah, let me, let me, let me take that back. Tony, <laughs> okay. Sarah, Kim, and uh, mostly Sandra um, decided to vote off Tyson. Okay. Do you agree with that move from their standpoint? Do you think that that was the right move to make? This is where my own survivor inexperience was shown to me in the course of the episode. So in the episode, when they determined, hey, basically per Tyson and Tony, that there was a core four of Wendell, Nick, Sophie, and Yule. Hey, if we vote with them, if you vote with them, Sandra, and vote off Tyson, they're going to have the numbers going forward. Therefore, we need to vote off one of them so that way we have the numbers going forward in case we come back to tribal council. And I was like, that is rock solid logic. The Mm -hmm. only way that Sandra would not go for this is if she's feeling vindictive towards Tyson and didn't like that he put her name out there in in the last episode. So then they go ahead and vote Tyson off, and I was like, oh, my goodness. What a terrible, terrible decision. Why would they do this? Why would they all unanimously vote this way? And then I was instantly rebuked by the sneak peek where they showed that the tribe swap was happening. And that's where this mentality really shows itself strong is because even though this is a short-term mindset, I think they know just from the history of the game, this next tribal council will be during a time of a tribe swap or maybe the one after that. So Mm -hmm. can you maintain at least cordial alliances with everyone on your tribe for another vote? Is it worth sacrificing one of the people in your own alliance to get there? I think the answer is yes, and they clearly felt the same. So they unanimously vote out Tyson with the exception of Nick voting for Kim because he was scared that Tyson had an idol. So in the event that Tyson had an idol, he wanted it to be a one-to-one vote where then the revote would go to Kim and, and Nick would be saved. So I get why he did that in, for some reason, that earned him a fire token because he's the only one that didn't vote for Tyson. So Tyson was like, I guess I'll give it to Nick. But uh, th- that really showed me my own inexperience because I'm thinking purely long-term. Long-term, you need to get the numbers on your side, Sandra. Why are you doing this? But they did make the right choice going into a tribe swap. Yeah, I, I felt like um, Sandra was kind of flying around you know making kind of uh, emotional decisions which she she mentioned you know she's trying to avoid making emotional decisions this season i i struggle with this one still because you don't know that a tribe swap is happening you know they they were right it's kind of like one of those things you know is it is it better to be lucky or better to be better to be right and in this case it was it was lucky you know they they voted tyson off tyson was a big shield for sandra and for tony in my opinion Maybe yes. even Sarah. Kim doesn't yeah. need a shield. Kim just 
And somehow Yule doesn't need a shield. It's so weird to me how no one is talking about him that much. Dude, dude, Yule and Boston Rob are are running away with the season, in my opinion. You know, with the exception of Natalie on the edge of extinction, they're playing the best games. And Yule is basically stride for stride with himself on Pearl Islands. He's doing the exact same thing he did there. And, and his win was one of the most solid wins. I mean, nobody else, nobody else beats Ozzy, but nobody but Yule and his masterful performance could have possibly beat the charismatic Ozzy that provided, that played Survivor, right? And I was rooting for, I, I, I could talk about this all day. I could talk about season 13 all freaking day. Um, but I won't. I digress. Yule is is fantastic at this game. He understands it just as well as Rob does and can articulate it just as well. The only thing is Rob's got that kind of, you know, Boston thing going on where nobody really pays attention to him when they should. And um, and Yule just sounds so smart and so intelligent when he talks. I think as long as Yule keeps that under wraps, you know, one thing I notice about Yule is he doesn't talk strategy with anyone outside of his four. He he plays a social game, you know, he he hugs, he he you know laughs, he makes jokes, he gets around, but he does not talk strategy with anyone outside of his closest alliance, and that's smart because he does not need anyone to understand how well he understands this game and and understands the chess moves that are happening in just normal conversation sure so yeah i mean to go back to the question i really i don't want to i don't want to say that it was the right choice but it ended up working out for them no see i think it was just a play on the odds it's like going for fourth down in a game of football you you can go for it and if you get it well then it was the right choice but if you don't get it everyone's going to crucify you for it but i still think the right decision was to go for it even if it didn't pan out that doesn't mean that the decision to go for it was bad it just means the outcome wasn't what you wanted it to be if that makes sense yeah i think uh, i think you're wrong uh darn it I ben think <laughs> i think i'm right <laughs> And uh, kudos, kudos to Caleb for uh, for bringing up football and and I have to get it in every episode. You really do, and I I don't uh, I don't mind. I've also done the same thing. We we like football, and that that'll be our next podcast probably. But anyways, uh, that's about all we have for today. Uh, we appreciate all the communication uh, with us on Facebook. We appreciate even even kind of the negative interactions where you know you disagree with our takes. That's perfectly fine. Uh, everyone has their own opinion, and and even Caleb and I disagree from time to time. So uh, keep it coming. We love interacting with our fans and with Survivor fans, and uh, we appreciate you guys listening.